Isaiah chapter 61. In verse 3 it says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them, or to exchange beauty for ashes, to exchange the oil of joy for mourning, to exchange the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to come into God's presence and exchange some things. Trade some things. If there's some things you don't like, you can come into God's presence and exchange it. And you don't get something that's equal. You get something that's far, far, far greater. And we're talking about growing in grace this year. And that's a theme that I felt like God directed me towards. And today we're going to continue along that theme of growing in grace. And the simple thought is the grace exchange. The grace exchange. Amen. Let's one more time ask the Lord to touch our hearts. He's obviously in this place. If you haven't felt His love already, I pray you would surrender to it because He is here to love you today. As we pray, we're not praying because God needs prayer. (laughs) We're not praying because the Bible needs prayer. We're praying that we would receive it as it is. Amen? So let's pray that we will receive the Word of the Lord today in the way that He desires for us to. Lord, we're thankful for Your Word today. We're thankful for the encouragement that we've already received in Your presence. We're thankful for the love and the mercy and the compassion that we've already felt as we have began to praise You, as we began to surrender to You. Thank You for our amazing worship team that has led us into Your presence. Thank You for the things we've celebrated as a church already with the video earlier acknowledging that you have done great things in this church, that you are building up a mighty group of warriors delivered and set free for your kingdom's sake to help others be delivered and set free, to help others to be able to come and be saved. Lord, I'm thankful for everyone who's here today that you've come to love us today, to express your mercy and your kindness and your desire to be closer to us than you've ever been before. Lord, we ask these things with confidence because they're according to your will. And you will will answer any prayer that's according to your will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord today. It was a match made in heaven. Not because it was the perfect couple as we often designate that saying for but because it was literally a match made in heaven it was literally set up by God it was a commandment that a certain man marry a certain woman and therefore it was a match made in heaven the calendar on the wall indicated that it was about 760 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem Jeroboam II was on the throne of the northern kingdom of Israel. And his military exploits had extended Israel's borders farther than they had been since Solomon's glorious reign. Tribute money was rolling in 
to their treasury. And the people of Israel were enjoying a period of unprecedented prosperity. As is sometimes the case with prosperity came moral and spiritual degeneration. Secularism and materialism captured the hearts of the people and sin ran rampant. The list reads like a 20th century America. Swearing, lying, killing, stealing, adultery, drunkenness, perversion, perjury, deceit, and oppression, just to name a few. But the thing that grieved the heart of God more than all of these was the sin of idolatry. The golden calf set up by Jeroboam I about 150 years prior had opened the floodgates to every evil expression of Canaanite adultery, including the different forms of worship that go along with idolatry, drunkenness and prostitution and human sacrifice. I'm glad we don't serve that kind of a God. Since the Lord viewed Israel as His wife, we have to get that image in our mind today to really understand this message. Israel was His wife. He viewed her worship of other gods as spiritual adultery. We serve a jealous God. He is jealous for His bride. He is jealous for His people. The Old Testament speaks frequently of Israel whoring after or playing the harlot with other gods. Jehovah had told Israel from the beginning that He would not share her with others. You shall have no other gods before Me was the first of the ten suggestions. No. Just wanted to see if you're awake. The Ten Commandments. But she had persistently ignored his command, and by the days of Jeroboam II, the situation was intolerable. God was about to speak decisively, and he first chose a prophet named Amos, the former herdsman of Tekoa, thundered God's warning of imminent judgment. To the nation that would not repent. That would not heed the attention of God. So God spoke again, but this time He chose a prophet named Hosea. Whose name means salvation. I'm glad when God comes in the name of salvation. The first thing God ever said to Hosea was this unlikely union, this unlikely marriage, go and take to yourself a wife of harlotry. We all understand, I think, what a harlot is. If we don't, it's a woman who gives her body for a price. A prostitute. And have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. My wife is not faithful to me, God said. My beautiful wife, as we heard from Brother Ron earlier. God sees us as His beautiful wife. And at this time, His beautiful wife was ignoring Him. And not just ignoring Him, but 
being intimate with others. Jose and Gomer would not be a match on eHarmony. Match.com would not put them together. Their profiles would be worlds apart. A man whose life was dedicated to the everlasting love of God. His primary and sole purpose was to communicate the word of God. He lived for God and protected himself from the harmful, unholy things of the world. And God puts him together with someone who repeatedly sold her body to men that did not love her in exchange for the money to survive. Gomer's name is interesting because it means complete. This idea that despite Gomer's apparent unworthiness, she completed Hosea. This is true of us as well. And the Lord was setting up the understanding that this was true of the nation of Israel at that time. His people, though they were unworthy, though they were unfaithful, though they were constantly being distant from Him, yet they were the very thing and we are the very thing that completes God. It doesn't seem like God is incomplete in anything. But God is sovereign and nobody makes God do anything. Nobody has ever told God what to do and won the argument. Unless He allowed it. But never against His will. And yet, He keeps on reaching for you and for me. Though we betrayed Him, though we failed Him, though many times we have not even acknowledged Him for days and months and years at a time, still He says, you complete me. You are my bride. You are my spouse. This union was to teach them that God truly loved them despite the fact that they kept on forsaking Him and following after gods that were empty in their promises. Gods that could not hold a candle to the love of Jehovah. Yet somehow we get duped into thinking it's better out there. So Jose and Gomer were wed Hosea took Gomer home and made him his wife and they started a life together. Probably things were great in the beginning even though Gomer wondered how in the world this man could love her. How she could have this ideal home when she had for so long never experienced true love. But here she is experiencing love and they they're intimate and they have a child together and things seem to be going well. But somewhere along the course of time, Gomer, whether it was because she couldn't really believe that Hosea actually loved her. Because after all, who is she? This love can't be real. 
Sometimes we start out living for God and we do well for a while and then we start questioning, does God really love me? I mean, that can't be. Who am I to him? Or maybe she burnt the biscuits a few times and left a few things around the house and it was really untidy when he got home and she expected him to lay into her and get all mad and throw a fit and he just said, it's okay, honey. And she began to question, is this love real? Is this man someone that I can trust? Maybe it was that that caused her to start stepping out on Hosea. Or maybe it was just simply she missed the thrill of the sinful life. Even though that life was leading her to more and more destruction, some reason she was enticed to leave the safety of the boring love of Hosea with its rules and its confinements and go outside to have many different relationships with many different men. Regardless, she ended up getting pregnant again and twice more she became pregnant and it suggests in the theology of this story that maybe these children weren't even Hosea's. That these last two children belonged to someone else, but Hosea treated them like his own. After all, God did tell him, you will have children of harlotry. You'll have children in your house that are not even yours. But they're actually born out of the fact that your wife has betrayed you. But Hosea continued to love them. Despite all this love, Gomer eventually stepped out for good. The day came where she finally told Hosea whatever it was she decided to tell him. Or maybe it was a note while he was gone about his daily activities and Something she just left behind for him to read when he arrived. But nevertheless, she stepped out and she had made up her mind that she was either too unlovable or Hosea was just not the way she wanted to live. Hosea reached out for her. He even at one instance sent the children to convince her to come home. Who knows where she was or what she was doing, but when her children came, they found a stranger and they returned home heartbroken because Hosea, or excuse me, Gomer would not return home. She wanted to continue in this lifestyle of immorality. Again, I don't know what Satan used on her because he uses many arguments to convince us that we do not belong to God. Again, sometimes it's unworthiness. It's to convince us that you're not good enough to be loved by Him. You've done too much. You've gone too far. You're too wicked. You're too dirty. You're too gross in His sight. You're disgusting to Him. He's tolerating you. If that was what Gomer was thinking, Hosea was thinking, are you kidding me? I love you. You are beautiful. I want you home. And even if it was because she directly rejected him and didn't want to spend time with him and was enticed by the immorality in the world and having relationship after relationship with all these different men and the excitement of it and the thrill of it and 
The pleasure of sin for a season. Because if I was to stand before you today and say, there's no pleasure in sin, I would be a liar. There is pleasure in sin. But it's for a season. It's only for a short time. And eventually that pleasure will run out. But Gomer found herself far from Hosea's home. Hosea continued to try to woo her, but she would not come home. Eventually, Gomer came to a place of utter despair. Evidently, she was not as beautiful as she used to be. And she could not command money by simply offering her body. And she went into the auction as a slave. The only way she felt like she could possibly survive in the world any longer was to become somebody's servant and just try to eke out the rest of her existence in this life, slaving on someone's property. But in this broken condition, no doubt when she stood there that day and the auctioneer was soliciting a price, any price, for this rundown woman of ill repute that probably most people know what her lifestyle was like. There was a voice in the back that spoke up that she hadn't heard for a long time. And this was the last place she expected to hear the voice of her husband. I'll pay. Whatever the price. I just want my wife to come home. If she has a debt to pay, I'll pay it. Whatever it is. I just want my wife to come home. My children want their mom back. Somehow in that moment, Gomer finally realized Hosea loved her. Hosea wasn't going to force her to come home, I don't believe. But because he stepped up when she was most unworthy, her beauty had passed. She knew it wasn't him just seeking her beauty, wasn't seeking the natural things that she could offer. But he simply loved her for her value, for her intrinsic value, for who she was. And she finally said, I would love to come home. If you will still have me, I would love to come home. The Bible doesn't tell us much after that, but we, we never hear of her leaving again. We never hear of Gomer stepping out on Hosea and leaving, but we can assume she stayed at home. That's an exchange greater than human love can offer. Most people would have told Hosea the first time she stepped out, let her go. She has done you a favor. And they would have heard about Hosea trying to get her back. They would have said, how desperate is this moron? Trying to seek this woman who won't even stay home. 
What is he doing? But Hosea's love persisted. Hosea's love prevailed. When she was unfaithful, he was faithful. When she was unloving, his love was constant. Because he represented God's love. The grace exchange is not slanted in God's favor, but in ours. It's not fair. We have a sense of fairness, and rightfully so, but many times we think it has to be fair in the transaction. That's not fair, we say, and we decline, right? As my fifth grade teacher used to tell us, if you want to find fair, look in the dictionary. Because that's the only place you're going to find it. It's not fair. Quit thinking it has to be fair for you to receive grace. It's never going to be fair. You're not going to be worthy. If you think you're worthy, there's a problem actually. It's okay to feel unworthy, but don't let feeling unworthy stop you from receiving. It's not a fair transaction at the grace exchange. The Bible says that our righteousness, our our attempts to be righteous, our attempts to live right, our attempts to do the right thing are like filthy rags. Filthy rags are only good for one thing, cleaning dirty stuff. Right? You don't wear your filthy rags somewhere nice. Unless that's all you got, but if you have something else, you're not, you're not going to take your filthy rags. They're, they're worthless to us. We keep them in a box somewhere when we need to clean the toilet. That is our attempt to be righteous. Yet the Lord tells us we can visit the grace exchange. It's better than goodwill. Goodwill's got a rather unfair in their pricing, in my opinion. A little big for their britches. You buy stuff brand new, cheaper elsewhere. Nevertheless, I digress. At the grace exchange, we can take our filthy rags and the Bible says we can get gleaming white, pristine robes of righteousness. Perfect material. The best garments. That's not a fair trade. Dirty rags for clean robes. I saw recently in the headlines that uh, whatever her name is, the lady that's marrying the prince over there across the pond. Can't remember, Mark, Markle or Markel or something. I don't know what, something like that. Whatever, yeah, whatever it is. Her engagement dress for the picture, for the pictures of the engagement was a cool 75 grand. $75,000, you know, for one gown that you wear for a couple pictures. It's pretty nice threads, I'm sure. Those aren't filthy rags. Yet the Lord gives us garments that are far more valuable than all the money in the world can buy. Garments that when we stand before Him, we are... Pure, unblameable, 
unreprovable in his sight, Colossians tells us. Not because we've never done anything wrong, but because he cleaned us. He gave us those clothes so when we wear them, we stand before him. We are perfect and we are spotless and we are clean because he has washed us in the blood of the lamb. At the grace exchange, we get the best clothes to stand before him beautiful and righteous and pure. And if the world doesn't like those clothes, that's okay. The world despises those clothes. Because like Gomer and like us sometimes, they're duped into thinking filthy rags are better than those. I don't know how Satan does it, but he's good at it. Give up your filthy rags. They're not worth keeping. When you can wear robes of righteousness. It's not a fair trade. But the Lord already paid for it. Most of you wouldn't pay $75,000 for a dress. But if someone paid for it, would you say no? Would you resist it? Would you decline it? Would you say, give it to somebody else? I don't want that filthy garment. No, that garment will make you filthy rich. All right? I'd take it if nothing else to sell it. See what I can get in exchange for that. Ashes to ashes. Dust to dust. We hear those words at funerals. Right? That's because from the dust we're created and to the dust we return. Ashes represent that finality of death. That ceasing of life to where we go from as beautiful as you are today. To dust. But the Lord reverses the process. Somehow, miraculously, He offers beauty for ashes. That's the reverse. I don't understand how He does it. It's different in every case and in every life, but the Lord takes something broken, hopeless, and dark, and He makes it something beautiful. How does He do it? I don't know. But that's His business. He is the master of the grace exchange. Not only the loss of people of this life, but the death of dreams and desires leave us at places where we feel like there's no more hope and we've shipwrecked on the seas of life. And Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote a song that talks about this glorious exchange of beauty for ashes. It says, if there ever were dreams that were lofty and noble, they were my dreams at the start. They were my dreams at the start. You ask children what they want to be when they grow up. They have lofty goals. But life has a way of downsizing our dreams. My dreams were lofty at the start. And hope for life's best were the hopes 
that I harbored down deep in my heart. But my dreams turned to ashes and my castles crumbled. My fortune turned to loss. So I wrapped it all in the rags of life and laid it at the cross. And the Course says something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, He understood. All I had to offer Him was brokenness and strife. But He made something beautiful of my life. Why don't you just take a trip to the cross? Lay it at His feet. Exchange your ashes for beauty. Sin is a destructive force. It's a hard lifestyle. The Bible says the way of the taskmaster is hard. The wages of sin are death. And death puts us in that state of mourning. Not the time of day. <laughs> M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Mourning that loss of our life or someone else's. In the Old Testament times, mourning would be a time where they would put ashes on their head. And Isaiah tells us that the Lord is going to exchange those ashes and exchange that state of mourning for the oil of joy. The oil of joy. You can exchange mourning for joy. You can exchange a deep sense of regret and sorrow over your past. You can, you can exchange that place you are stuck in for joy. You can move forward in joy. The Bible calls it joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's so great we can't even explain it. You won't know what kind of joy God can give until you experience it. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. We shall find ourselves clothed in garments of heaviness at times. We've all been grieved over the condition of our world, I hope. <laughs> I, I have. Grieved over the condition of things, the unrest and the conflict that seems constant. And the thing that probably bothers me the most is the constant fighting. Everybody's fighting all the time. It drives me crazy. Why do we have to fight about everything? People can't hardly say anything good anymore. There's constant conflict. So much unrest, so much heaviness. Not to mention the cares of life, which this time of year, the season we're in is not just for holidays, but sickness, <laughs> disease, bills, jobs, and the like. They bring heaviness into our lives. Where some days it feels like the covers weigh 400 pounds. We can't seem to get that thing off us that is mocking us by its very name, the comforter. Why do I feel no comfort then?
But the Lord wants us to trade our garments of heaviness for garments of praise. There's a song we used to sing that says, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then a little light from heaven filled my soul. He bathed my heart in love and wrote my name above. And just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. What is it? He's going to hear our faintest cry. And he will answer by and by. Now when you feel a little prayer wheel turning, you know a little fire's burning. You're going to find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. I may have doubts and fears. My eyes be filled with tears. But Jesus is a friend who watches day and night. I go to him in prayer. He knows my every care. And just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Amen. We need to learn to talk to Jesus more. <laughs> not to be religious. Not to say, I, I prayed today so I can feel good about I did my religious duty. But so we'll stop being under a load of heaviness. So we can get out from underneath the covers and face the day. Just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Coming towards a close here. The faithfulness we see and the example of Hosea and Gomer is a picture of God's faithfulness to us. God is challenging us to grow in grace this year. And grace is faithful. So God wants us to be more faithful. Lamentations 3 and 22 says it is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. His compassions will never fail. We just have to submit to his compassion. Just like Gomer at the auction block. We can't earn a trip home. We just have to decide to go home with him. He is offering compassion to all of us today and His compassions will not fail, but we have to choose to walk with Him. Jesus will lead us out of darkness into His marvelous light, but if someone is going to lead you, what do you have to do? You have to follow Him. You have to follow. It's that simple. You've got to follow Jesus. Wherever he leads. His compassions fail out there new every morning. And great is thy faithfulness. Even in the midst of lamentation, which was sorrow and dark. And one of the hardest books of the Bible to read. <laughs> there's this pause to say, but I'm not consumed because of the Lord's mercies. His compassions never fail me. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And in like manner, God wants you and I as his followers to exhibit faithfulness to others. I'm going to take just a moment here to talk to those of us who are following Jesus, who consider ourselves to be Christians, who are trying to live 
a godly life, we need to be faithful. But we're not going to be faithful just like any other aspect or virtue of grace on our own. We must surrender to grace and grace helps us be more faithful. Galatians 5.22 says that it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's faith. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And that word faith certainly means a reliance and confidence in God, as we often think of it. A conviction and assurance of His promises. Yes, that kind of faith. But it also means fidelity. Or faithfulness. The character of one who can be relied upon. And I'm not saying these things to condemn you today. I have a lot of room for growth in this area of faithfulness. But at the same time, I must challenge myself and we must challenge each other to be more faithful. If we consider ourselves Christians, if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to be all that He can be, we must buck this trend of unfaithfulness in our culture. Unfaithfulness is rampant. Unfaithfulness is all around us. People don't, they don't know how to be loyal anymore. They don't know how to be faithful anymore. They'll leave a job at the drop of a hat and the employer will can them at the drop of a hat. It's on both sides of the equation. There's no loyalty. And people get married more often than they change clothes. And again, I'm not throwing stones, but for the grace of God, who knows where I would be? And I'm not throwing any condemnation on your past, but as you are following Christ now, you can redeem the time by being faithful where you are. None of us can change the past. None of us can go back and make things right, but we can be faithful to what we have now. We need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. We need to be faithful to God, number one, in our daily living. And we need to be faithful to those that rely on our love. Again, the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So much, so much the more as the day approaches. We need to be faithful to our brothers and sisters in Christ through attending functions and fellowship opportunities and being there for one another. Not to be religious. Again, we have a big cop out that says, I don't need church. I can serve God on my own. Well, maybe you can to a certain degree. I'm not going to argue with you about that. But you have a responsibility as the body. You know, there's problems that develop when certain parts of the body decide they don't want to work in the morning. And the older we get, the more that happens. It's frustrating. (laughs) You wake up and not everything does. You get up to move and not everything moves. Your brain is saying, move. And something's saying, no, I don't want to move. I'm comfortable here. I don't need you. Live life without me. The body has a responsibility to each other, right? 
And again, I, I understand we get sick at times. We have vacations at times. We have work commitments at times. I understand all those things. I'm not throwing stones. I'm not trying to get, make anybody condemned today. I'm just telling you, if we want to be like Christ, we've got to be faithful to each other. Faithful to each other. And we don't see this by everybody around us all the time. But we need to be that way anyways. We need to look to Jesus as our example. Not to everybody else. Because God shows up and he is faithful. Your families, your children, your spouse, they need you to be faithful. Faithful. As we stand today, coming to a close, stand if you like, or remain seated if you like, but I always say it helps if you stand, helps me come to a close sooner. So if you want me to keep talking, just. But as we, we've looked at the example of Hosea and Gomer today, which I know her name means complete, but in our society, that just seems like a bad name for a woman. I can't imagine a beautiful lady. I can only imagine a goofy military person with the last name Pa. Private Pile. Look it up on YouTube, all you young people, because you have no idea what I'm talking about. I know. I understand. You don't know Private Pile. Just put in Private Pile, and you'll see Private Gomer Pile. Just, just passed away. It's an unfortunate name for a woman, though. It's... We call people Gomer as like a, not a nice thing, you know. Like, what a Gomer. It's like, it's like a synonym of Goober, you know. What a Goober, what a Gomer. They're, they're pretty similar, you know. But no matter what the rest of the world thought of Gomer... She had a place where she could go where she was special. She was loved. And I'm talking of our spiritual home, which is our church. And the church is wherever we gather, not just here, but in our life groups. And Starbucks turns into church when we're there. And Pete's Coffee and Dutch Bros. It's a shelter, it should be a shelter. A place where when you come, I don't know why all these references are coming to mind. Everybody knows your name. Like cheers. Sometimes you wanna go, right? Where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. They're always glad you came. Who doesn't want to go to a place like that? Right? That's how home is supposed to be. That's how church is supposed to be. That's how your home is supposed to be. And you have the ability to make it that way. 
When somebody comes home, greet them with warmth. Don't barely raise your eyes from your phone and maybe an eyebrow. Hey, I just acknowledged your home with an eyebrow raise. Greet them. Hug them. Love them. Because that's the way Jesus wants us to be. Because He's that way towards us. When we feel like the whole world hates us and thinks we're ugly and doesn't want anything to do with us, Jesus says, you're beautiful to me. How, Lord? Look how dirty I am. Look how messed up I am. Look how many scars I have. Look how many mistakes I've made. How could you think I'm beautiful? You're perfect. You're holy. You're righteous. You've never done anything wrong. You've never done anything against me. And you love me? How is this possible? And God says, quit trying to figure it out and just let me love you. Thank you for listening to today's sermon, The Grace Exchange. We hope this message has helped you understand how faithful and loving our Lord and Savior is. For more information about our church, please visit www.livingwatersofbeaverton.com. Again, that's www.livingwatersofbeaverton.com.